Hey everybody, we are Martin, Robert, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head, rent-free. Hi, I'm Martin. I'm Francis. And I'm Robert. Thanks for joining us again at Snakes and Otters. This is episode three, where we continue our discussion from last episode on World War I, Who's to Blame? The Russians, even after getting their clocks cleaned by the Japanese, think they have rebuilt enough this this one group okay yeah. yeah they push the peace guys out of the council of uh, of ministers and the guys that take over become comfortable with the idea of a generalized continental european war touched off in the balkans mm -hmm. because of their strategic goal of cutting because up they believe, the Ottoman empire and perhaps rightly so that they can handle Austria and they can handle Turkey. And they're willing to work on Germany as long as you've got France and Britain on the other side. So they all get what they want, a two-front war. Yeah, well, see, I don't even and know that where we think of it as a two-front war. I don't know that anybody before the war would have thought in those terms. Because you got to remember... Only <clears> that, well, the French and, French and Germans are thinking in that way. Because they're... I, well, I... They have to. To yeah. a degree. What I'm talking about, though, when we think of a a front war, what you know, a two-front war, whether where the front is, it's much more defined than any war that Europe had ever seen. Well, yeah, the entire Wars, concept of front was it was irrelevant before this, right? Because before this, there were battles. That's correct. Sometimes months or even a few years between battles and you know in something like the Thirty Years' War, okay. Or the Hundred Years' War. You know, there wasn't a continuous battle going on for 100 years or, or even 30 years. And so you had much smaller armies well, even that were wars, on right. foot or horseback at best. Yeah. And so wars were very local. Okay, so yes, you may have fighting going on over here. And you may have fighting going on over here. By the way, I pointed over here to my right and to my left since you can't see that. <laughs> um, but they weren't... You could you could almost make the argument that prior to World War One, these were separate conflicts. There was no coordination. There was no communication. There was, you know, armies fight, and maybe they'll seize a town, and the town will maybe they'll resist and they'll get plundered, uh, or maybe they'll surrender and it goes much easier on them. Well, certainly in the medieval times, you're exactly right. Well, even up into... Napoleon know. changed a little bit of that, though, because his were nationalist scales. However, you're exactly right. They all came down to a given big battle at one time or another. Then everybody makes the peace. They reallocate resources and reallocate territory. Right. redraw the map. That's correct. And Exchange they, their goods, their gold, That's whatever. exactly right. And the war continues, potentially... Uh, in Napoleon's case, because he's never satisfied. Right. But for the most part, though, this, I think, is the first time where you've got... Well, I mean, even with Napoleon, he had a massive army. Correct. Well but trained. it was still one guy going from west to east, basically. Okay? Ultimately, that is correct. Yes. It, it, Here... It, over a period of years. Yes, over a period of years. And uh, very, uh, fairly strategically well done, because he has to defeat each one... Right. In their own time. In and fact, I'm not... his entire strategy was based on the fact of keeping Russia out of it at first. Yes. You know, his uh, rapprochement with them on the, uh, on the uh, I, don't, I don't remember what river it was, him and Alexander III basically yes. became 
peaceful buddies because they're, we're not going to attack you, you're not going to attack me, which left everybody else free for Napoleon to, to plunder. Right. And once that's all done, he's coming your way. Right. But still, it, it's it's the prior type of warfare Correct. on a larger scale. Right. Constant uh, warfare is unheard of. Exactly. Constant warfare is unheard of. So that which plays to your point about everybody thought this was going to be quick. That's right. You know, except maybe Germany. Yeah, the Germans knew they would have. Their they probably fall. didn't think this was going to be a four-year slog it out in the trenches. Though. Well, nobody uh, saw that coming. Well, because nobody had been nobody under had fire uh, by machine guns or gas or the long ranges that rifles could hit now. So yeah, all of that guns are ha- made the war what it was. I still think, but and I really, haven't read this book, I still think a lot of the original pre-20th century thinking goes into why the war starts. No question. No question. We don't... We look at it with modern eyes and we talk about, well, there's a two-front war. Yeah, because they That's all... That's a ha- new thing in time. They all have the modern technology. But nobody but ever nobody, used it And like they this. didn't understand it. And that, to me, seems to be... I get many won't. Right. But I would think that Germany should because they have... Because of their military esprit... They, my God, they live, eat, breathe, and sleep tactics all day long. The right. Ju- they were the first to have a general staff that we think of today. That is exactly right. Where so, they make plans for everything. So why in the world did they not understand or conceive of the enormous killing power that is at their disposal? Well, perhaps they did. What they didn't see was that it still wasn't to the point where... Because remember, they're still moving at pace of a walk. There, there's no armor yet. True, but trains change that, though. Yeah, but that only gets you to the fight. That's correct. Once you're there, it's a little fight. bit different. Well, because it is now 100% defensive. And it right. never had been before. Defenders always have the advantage. That's correct. Because yeah. you can literally stop an attack dead in its tracks. Yes, you can. That has never been the case before. Nobody could ever do that. And I don't think even with the Germans planning, I don't think they could have seen ultimately how that was going to play out. Because nobody had ever ever used this stuff before. They saw what it could do. So they were probably thinking... And there are examples... I don't care how much it is, just give me a whole lot of... Of conflict in Europe with these armaments. Because there's two Balkan Wars in 1912 and 1913. And that plays in, again... What the Austrians are thinking, what the Russians are thinking, what the Serbians, the Bulgarians, all that. Was the Russo-Japanese war used with modern weapons? Yeah. So, well. why, so why in the world weren't the Russians aware of this? The pace was moving really fast. Well, and they thought they were ready. There's a large naval contingency that, that war, too. And, and it's also on the other side of the world, too. Yeah. I get some of I that. I mean, but there was, there was something to examine, only it was localized to the Balkans. Right, and, and, and it was not large enough to re- to really be noticed to really understand. to the extent that well, we're suggesting it should have been. Right. Well, there's no internet. They're tactically, in yeah. a way. Ta- well, and they're how involved much, in the in the how much credence are they going to give the Serbians as far as you know? Well, did they use the the tools properly? Because you got to remember, everybody. Well, everybody, somebody, everybody really, yeah, they were hating on the Serbians bad. They considered yeah, well, that, yeah. Uh, when you well, look but at, the Bulgarians are involved. The Serbians are involved. The, the two wars are pretty interesting in that the Serbians and the Bulgarians in the first one were buddies, taking over stuff from the Ottomans, which again plays into the Russians. Hey, now guess what? The Ottomans are going to, they can't even hold off the Serbians and the Bulgarians. They're going to fold their tents. 
And then the second war is the Bulgarians and the Serbians turn on each other over the spoils of beating up the Ottomans. Which kind of gives so. you an amazing, and not to slide off onto this, but we'll get a little tactical here for a moment. Gallipoli should have been the easiest cakewalk that ever happened. And, they, and, the, and the Australians in particular got their asses handed to them by the quote-unquote sick man of Europe. Churchill's policy and plan was sound. And yet, what happened? It's just too big a theater for the coordination possible at that time. See, they that were able to bring... goes to my point about how this started. Everybody's thinking local. Yeah. And the sweep is but just too much big. bigger. Yeah, sure. and again, that's what I was trying to get to with these Serbian uh, and these uh, or the Balkan Wars in twelve and thirteen. Again, they're using the modern weapons, but the sweep is just not large enough. Well, for the trade to is different. Well, same as Russo yeah. Japanese. They it's, it, it doesn't register. It's not big enough for them to notice. So nor you, know, when you start enough. talking about the sweep of the Schlieffen plan or what there was of it by yeah. the time you get to nineteen fourteen. Um, it's just a, it's a huge theater all across France. So well, anyway, you have to give them credit; they damn near pulled it off. It was they it, close. it was they it was close. meticulously planned and executed. There were just a, a couple of things that all it takes is one or two things to go wrong. Well, we've seen that in everything. That's you right. know, a couple of commanders changing their minds and well, I'm right. going to go left instead of right, and then you open up the gap. Somebody wrapping up their cigars and General Order 191 and forgetting them somewhere. I mean, well, yeah, or Dan Sickles decided I'm going to go out front today, and we go all the way out, you know, <laughs> move out, you know, all this stuff, and kind of put yourself on your own. I mean, yeah, we can. <laughs> this is not a new issue, believe me. Right. So, okay. Well, mostly what I wanted to wrap up with is, wow, this book is something else you know i really do recommend it uh and again i'm only about halfway through it and it's just tremendous um so what time period does it cover um really about 1900 to um to the assassination okay so So this is pre-war this is not tactics this is no no it's it's strictly the how the all the european powers sleptwalked into this conflagration so this would be a very good book to begin with, but to go actually go into the war, you need to go with something like uh, Keegan. Uh, Keegan uh, Meyer. Meyer's a very good one. A world well, undone. You know my three that I always like are Keegan, Straken, Straken, and Marshall. Right. And Marshall, yeah. SLA Marshall. Yeah. Uh, so to me, that's like a it's like a three piece because they cover different pieces. I prefer of the war. G. H. Meyer. I think it's a more accessible book. A world undone, and it is also the second book, The World Remade, which covers the post-war world and how it. Came in um, what it became. What is it? Paris 1919. That's exactly That's another yes. good one. Yes. That's another good one. That's right. So All this of these really, yeah, makes for a, a bookend to that. But he's talking, you know, about, again, there's no question the Serbians were just basically lunatics. And and there is this, well, you know. There's valid reasons for that, too. Yeah, yeah. They, they were extremely Well, I mean, it, I mean, basically, and... a terrorist organization, the Black Hand, reaches all the way into the highest levels of... Serbian military and the Serbian military basically runs the government because they'd already shot one king and got rid of him. So this really this is where that starts out is the Serbian revolution of the early 1900s where they have a king they don't like, they shoot him, replace him with somebody that's more pliable, and then it just you know kind of goes. At the time, Serbia is nominally part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. This is this would basically be the no no. Remember the the. 
Serbians get independence from the Ottomans. That's right. That's and right. it becomes to that them, whole area is hard to keep yes, straight. And what they're trying to do, and where the friction with the Austrians comes in, is over Bosnia. Right. Because they see it in nineteen oh nine. Well, let's put it the. The Austrians run Bosnia, but in 1909 they actually annex it. And that's a crisis, and that's what starts, again, pushing the Austrians and the Russians into mobilization. Right. And again, he talks about in here, the Austrians mobilize and the Russians mobilize, but they back down. And, you know, we kind of... We skim over that. We get to 1914, and our thoughts are, what we've been told is, well, once everybody mobilizes, there's no backing down. Well, they did it once. Right. But what became harder is, again, the Austrians can't mobilize, demobilize, mobilize, demobilize, over and over again. It's too expensive, and it puts too much well, strain domestically. I think the, the assassination is probably a better reason for not. You've, yeah. got national, you've got national issues there. I mean, nobody's going to... Uh, let that slide. That's correct. I mean, that's... Well, because well, Serbia to them has been a thorn in their side. It shouldn't be independent. It should be well, theirs. But there's body. only one guy in Austria who beats the drum for war constantly, and that's Hotzendorf. Right. The rest of them are kind of like... Do we really want to do this? I mean, even after Ferdinand is killed... I mean, Franz Joseph is, like, happy to pass him over anyway... And hand is, you know, heir presumptive to somebody else. Carl. To Carl. Who eventually becomes the... I mean, because, you know, Franz Ferdinand's not Franz Joseph's favorite guy. He's he's all that's left. And Franz Joseph, he's ancient at this point. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, He's been on the throne 60 years. much longer than... I mean, he dies in 15, I think it is. 15 or 16, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, there's... The Austrians are, are not... They're not like consumed with the war, or, or the, all they needed would have been a good reason not to fight, and they, they could have demobilized. They could have. They could have pulled back even after well, the assassination. Yeah. Okay. That's prob- That that could be true, given some kind of punishment. But that was kind of my point. They talked. But that's about why that. they never backed down from the ultimatum. The Russians backed them, and the Russians didn't back them. Nest like what we've been told is my opinion. We've been told they backed them because. It's Slavic Brotherhood. It's Orthodox religion. And Clark's arguing, if I'm understanding him correctly, the Russians back them because they want this to touch off a war. So they can go out and basically... And carve out the Ottoman carve Empire. Out, carve out the Ottoman Empire, which they see is almost inevitable from the conflict. And that's actually pretty this, logical. So this might as well be the thing that starts... Something's going to start the war. This might as well be it. Hey, And the Austria only did not We got back your them. back tell the Austrians to stuff the ultimatum. So then the Austrians turn around to Big Brother Kaiser and say, oh, they're going to treat me mean. Please help me. So then the Kaiser Which says... Which can be very humiliating. But they already had the alliance system and... I know. Kaiser, the, Kaiser's willing to do this because he recognizes... No, I get that. But when you, again, I go back to who the Austrians are. Yeah. They were the central power in Europe for centuries. And for them to have to go to the Kaiser, who's the head of a country that didn't even exist when their emperor was born. Very true. 
to get, you know, to, for help in this. It had to be humiliating. Had to be. Because, you know, part of the, that whole autocrat thing, a lot of the national image is yeah. tied up in that. Yeah. Whether it's, you know... Part of you know, the issue, yeah, and that's valid part of, or that's not. Part of one of the things we we, we haven't really Austria. talked much about. One of the reasons for the weakness of both Russia and Austria is the enormous bureaucracy that is involved in both government levels. Uh, Germany it didn't have a lot it. of that. They were very efficient, uh, and yet all th- all well, three of these are technically autocracies, but. Germany was functional. The bureaucracies run all three. That is correct. The but Russian but it's efficient in Germany. Yes. The, the, the German... Well, it's designed to be incompetent in many yeah, ways. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. But he makes an argument, too, that the Austrian bureaucracy is actually pretty good, considering the, the tensions pulling the country apart all right. the time anyway, and the limitations of... Well, it's you know, the, the only Hungarians thing is, not willing to share. Any it's power. only the, the only thing that has held them together as an entity is the bureaucracy, because otherwise they are a polyglot group that will eventually break apart, as indeed we have done today. All right, so that's the national second time you've used the word polyglot. I, I love, love it. it. Absolutely, that's right. <laughs> All right, so, so I just want to bring that out, but we got to wrap. Yeah, up. Yeah, we need here. to wrap up here. So, um, what I'm getting out of all of this? Yeah, tell is us the takeaway. Well, th- this is going to be a poor takeaway because really what I'm getting out of all of this is we still know who started the damn war. <laughs> I mean, you know... Other than the assassination of Francis Ferdinand. Well, that's, no. the, that's, that's the immediate. Yeah. I mean, there are so many... And really, well, anybody that, who's, who's done a decent study of, of history, not just what you get in high school, because especially nowadays, that just sucks. But... At least from what I remember of my high school class, maybe I just had an exceptional. Well, I also had Maggie Mahoney too. Yeah, that's correct. Now Maggie probably she, is where a lot of this stuff came that's from. That's correct. Maybe she rested. But because uh, I mean, we all had Western Civ, so there's all kinds of stuff going on. Now, I would I would say that what was the Serbian's name? I forget his name. Do you remember which one? The one that killed the, the Archduke. Gavrilo Princip. Princip. That's the Princip. Yes. So, Princip is the excuse. Right. I think everybody recognizes that. That is correct. But I would say that World War One, the great what became known as the Great War and then World War One, would have started somewhere. Somebody else would have found... Something else would have happened. I think because of all the stuff leading up, all the maneuvering between the nations, between the cousins... That's right. Between the cousins. Right. Cousin Nikki, cousin Willie, and uh, cousin George. uh, Georgie. Yes. Right. As the letter that was so yeah, circulated. And, and again, that's another piece that. of this to me that, are, that strikes me is, you know, again, we, Nikki, Wilhelm, autocrats, George V figurehead, but in a lot of ways, their powers are about equal. They're, Nicholas is a figurehead, too. Things are done in his name. Yeah. But they could have talked him into anything. Well, they could have t- the, the council of ministers well, could have talked the, him into anything. The position was not a figurehead; just Nicholas himself was. Well, that could very well. I mean, that's that's an entirely different yeah. That's right. discussion. How much time do you got? But yeah, yeah how much time do you got? Uh, how many episodes do you want to record tonight? <laughs> um, I guess what I'm saying is what I'm trying to, to to get here is not that this was a pointless discussion, but. You're real, we're really kind of left where we were. And it's kind of what the, I guess, because I haven't read the book either, but I'm, I'm going to put it on my list 
because it sounds fascinating, is that there is no one cause. No. That, that, there right. is no one right. cause. We've been and, searching uh, for it for a hundred years, wanting it to be that way. Right. Because, I mean, you know, we look at World War II and we like to say, well, Hitler. But you don't have Hitler without World War One. Absolutely. No question. And really... We even, have done... I mean, we've always contended this. There is... The 20th century as we know it is it's because shit. of World War One. Absolutely. I mean, you don't send Absolutely. men to the moon without World War One. Right. That's because correct. you don't have World War Two. That's where you get rockets. And you don't have a competition. Well, that's not where you get rockets, but that's where it really takes off. Because there were rockets hook in loop, Hook and loop fasteners, Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Uh... Microwave ovens? It's, it's not, no. <laughs> but you don't have a competition with the Russians either. Right. So, for as for a cause for World War One, there's no one single thing. It's To me, it's all, I've always thought of it as that perfect storm. Um, where you look at 19th century thinking yep. and maneuvering in political machinations. Well, to, but you do it in a modern era. I mean, think about what would happen if you took those players with today's technology. That's a piece it's of a it, too. It's a nuclear conflagration. That's a piece it's of over. it, too. Is it's over, right. The, the diplomats wouldn't use newer forms of communication because that's not what diplomats do. There, there, was, a, there was a form yes. to diplomacy that was very rigid. They, none of them would step out of it. Right. Well, and, you know... Uh, that's very much that thinking is permeates yeah. the, the the Western Allies because at that time none of the generals ever saw the front. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why World War One was so bad. Well, perhaps we nobody might... ever got to the front to see what the hell they were doing, sending those guys into the meat grinder. Then perhaps we could make this possible premise. Then the true and only cause of World War One was the, was was the inability. <laughs> Of anyone to truly think, think beyond convention. That's a big piece of it. Yeah, being, being a prisoner, beyond, be, prisoner it, of convention. Convi- pr- the prisoner, the the disease or the virus of conventional thinking was everywhere. Yes, I take would... that away at any significant point, and it changes everything. Possibly to the point of never happening. Yeah, I would go as far as this is part of it because it's part of that conventional thinking. But I think it's a big, big enough part that it's separate. I can give you a good example of this where we can see this in a very, very clear way using recent television series. We've seen Doctor Who. Do you remember the episode where this is under David Tennant's tenancy, where the Doctor becomes human? In the spring of 1914. Yes. And the world that he inhabits is very, very much about the glory and the honor and the wonders of war. They're teaching boys in the British schools how to fire machine guns. That's how it works. And the intention is for it to illustrate, and it does it very clearly and very well, by the time the war is finished... All that nonsense is over, and nobody thinks of it ever again. And this can also be seen in Rudyard Kipling, in his change. Because mm-hmm. you know he's lost his son during war. He was, he was one of the greatest hawks prior to the glories Lieutenant of the war. Kipling. That's exactly right. And However, once it got so bad, like it did, and he lost his son, he became the biggest advocacy for thinking, he finally got it right, this is insanity. 
This has always been insanity, and the joke's on us. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>